Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. We bought out all of North America for ice to do the Super Bowl. Shipped in over 64 semi-trucks of ice. And I think it came out to like 46 ice covers or th- maybe 47. And you're just kind of like, uh, okay. So we price it out and get back to them and they go, yep, not a problem. Just send us the invoice and we'll sign it off. We'll make an amendment to the contract. And you're like, Casey, they said yes. He goes, shoot, we must have not charged them enough. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Minnesota Ice is the nation's largest producer of sculpture-grade block ice and artisan cocktail ice, manufacturing and delivering up to 50 tons of ice per day. When you see a fancy sculpture on a banquet table at an event, good chance Minnesota Ice made it. Those beautiful cubes and shards of ice that disappear into craft cocktails, that's Minnesota ice as well. Robbie Harrell started the company in 2013 as a college student with $5,400 and no freezer to his name. The first time I interviewed him was in 2018, outside in the middle of a blizzard as his team was erecting a two-story ice sculpture for Super Bowl 52. Today's conversation feels a bit more comfortable in comparison. Robbie is now running a nearly $10 million company and approaching 40 employees. But he's still scrappy and still tireless. When honored in February with the Twin Cities Business Manufacturing Excellence Award, he immediately offered to make an ice sculpture for our awards event. Then he delivered the 300-pound piece himself and installed it while wearing a suit right before taking the stage to collect his award. Robbie was born this way, a businessman since he was a kid working long hours at, where else, the Minnesota State Fair. You know, I would work 14-hour days out there, you know, and wouldn't, you know, it just didn't bother me. Huh. It was just a lot of fun. So I worked there for 10 years, um, helped pave my, you know, help pave the way for what I was doing. But then also, you know, you learned a lot of aspects of a business in, you know, 10, 12-hour days mm-hmm. and, you know, how fast, you know, an environment is like the state fair where you're serving pallets upon pallets of cheese curds, you know? <laughs> and uh, do, Can you eat cheese curds today? Or You know, I, I still enjoy them. You do? They're, they're okay. very good. <laughs> it took me about eight years to figure out the ketchup thing. Uh-huh. You know, I never understood that. Um, so are you with ketchup or without? Oh, without. Without. But, that's, you know, that's like, more of a purist yes, approach. But, you know, like a little, a little, you know, maybe one, one mm-hmm. with ketchup, but, you know. Did you have role models in business growing up? Was there someone you're like that you wanted to be like? Was it was it Mark Cuban? Was it I mean, today there are so many like I feel like so many entrepreneurial superstars, maybe not quite as much when you were growing up. No, there, you know, and social media wasn't really around. Mm-hmm. You know, there was MySpace, but you know, that was about it. <laughs> yeah. And so uh 
I was very fortunate. So I, I got really into the paintball industry. And <laughs> yeah, so I would do cheese curds, you know, for 10 days of the summer. But the rest of that, you know, I was working paintball. And um, so I worked all the way out in Maple Plain, Minnesota. So 45 minute drive. My mom would truck me out there and I would work the weekends. And then somebody would usually bring me back to like Bloomington and she'd come pick me up. Why? Why paintball? I mean, couldn't you have gotten a job closer to home? <laughs> you would think so. But you know what? 15 year old doesn't like to shoot things at their friends. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's fun and it was expensive. And so that's why I had to work at a paintball place to get the discount and then also the be able to afford to play. I see. So you were funding your own yes. recreation. Yep. Okay. And so, uh, you know, kind of worked my way up at this place. So Gary Ryerson uh, owned this rather large paintball facility. It was indoors out in Maple Plain. And I worked there for a couple of summers and, you know, on and off throughout the school year. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, enough kind of became enough of this 45 minute drive every day to work and back. And um, we finally just, you know, I started looking around and it turned out that you know, there was a paintball place in Burnsville mm. and there was a shop and there was a, uh, there was a store. And, um, so Matt Ames, uh, was, you know, kind of the co-founder or founder of the, of the paintball place. And, uh, so I started working there and, you know, worked my way up to the point where I was managing all of their supply chain distribution, you know, for a very pretty large company at the time, um, directly from my dorm room as I moved into college. Okay, so, the, so I was going to say, so this spanned from high school into college yep. at the University of St. Thomas. Yep. Okay. Well, so this is actually when I was attending the University of Wisconsin Stout. Ah, okay. So, so you I went there, out there two years out there, and I somehow managed to. I'm attracted to 45 minute drives, I guess, because <laughs> Wisconsin Stout to the office in Burnsville was about 45 minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. and I would have to go back there on the weekends, and it was just like I can't do this anymore. So. Uh, Matt Ames went to St. Thomas for part of his um, college career as well. And so it was just like, well, you know, I hear it's a good school, you know, sign me up. Let's go. So you transferred. Okay. Um, And did you get into the entrepreneurship program? Were you a business major? What were you studying? Yeah, got into the entrepreneurship program. Um, You know, how much of it I went to, that's a different kind of piece, you know. (laughs) Because at that point, you know, I I was working quite a lot. You know, I was working 40, 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I was not really used, you know, in Wisconsin, you're not, at, at least at the time, you weren't required to go to, you know, to class. As long as you got all your work done, that was it. Mm. You know, they really wanted you there, but there was no attendance policy. Mm-hmm. You go to St. Thomas, and I think you can miss like two days or three mm-hmm. days. And that was a big learning lesson to fail a $5,000 class. Um, It was philosophy. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think I was going into the final with like a B plus, just doing everything remotely. And I remember walking in to, you know, turn in my final paper or whatever it was. And he goes, Mr. Harrell, you know, I just want to say you did a great job this semester, but I will be exercising, you know, our policy, blah, blah, blah. And I will be failing you. And I'm just like, for what? (laughs) Well, you didn't come to class and you're like, this class is at 8 a.m. Like, does anybody come? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you needed to be an entrepreneur to set your own hours and rules. Yeah. Because, you know, I normally work till three in the morning, four in the morning. Yeah. You know. What what do you think led to that sort of drive and commitment at such a young age? I mean, were your parents paying for school? Did, Did your parents tell you you needed to work that hard or did you put this on yourself? I just... I think I just put it on myself and it was, I had to make a name for myself. I wanted to do something, you know, you know, it was just, how do I 
learn how to run a business and there's no better way than hands-on. Okay. You know, and that was, you know, the most interesting part. And, you know, when I was working down at the place in Burnsville, you know, I, that's where I learned stats, you know, like I, that's where I learned everything I know about Excel work, you know, workbooks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just continued to grow upon that right. where if you go to class, you know, you don't necessarily learn how to work Excel, you know, Excel workbooks. Mm -hmm. You know, my good friend, Tucker Johnson, who went to, uh, he was in the entrepreneurship class with me. He, you know, used to, you know, he still brings the story up to this day when, you know, one of our professors was like, no, no, you know, who knows how to work pivot tables? And it was just like looking around and Tucker hits me and I was probably sleeping. <laughs> and he's like, hey, man, it's an Excel question. <gasps> pivot tables. Yeah. What do you want, man? You know, select the columns, you know, pivot it out. What data do you want to see? Mm -hmm. And this guy's just looking at me like, why do you know this? At what point did you pivot from paintball to ice? And were there, were there any other uh, careers there in between? Yeah, no other career. So, I mean, <laughs> it was really strange. You know, Matt Ames introduced me to, uh, you know, a really good friend, Trevor, of his, and said, hey, Robbie, Trevor needs some help delivering some ice sculptures this weekend. You know, he'll pay you 50 bucks or something. And it's like, all right, you mm -hmm. know, 50 bucks, that's, that's huge. Cool, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we originally started delivering ice sculptures for this gentleman. Where were the ice sculptures going? Was this for events, for yeah. weddings, for what was going on? Events, weddings, you know, corporate holiday parties. Uh -huh. um, I mean, we do some for birthdays. Uh, we do some for funerals. Huh. It's the weirdest. Wow. A lot of demand for ice. Yeah. Weirdest customer base. Um, you know, some, you know, you'll pitch something to like, you know, the winter classic. And they'll be like, why do we want an ice sculpture? But then you'll get a phone call for like, you know, hey, there's a funeral and, you know, we need to have an ice sculpture. And you're like, these are strange, a strange ice, customer base. Ice sculptures at funerals. I'd never thought of that. So, so you're delivering ice. And, of course, that just gets you thinking about, about what? About what possibilities? Yeah. You know, was, you know, with my original business partner and I, you know, I was a lot more of the business guy. Understood how to go out and sell, make connections and network. And we had, you know, this gentleman who was really good at ice carving, and we had this engineer. And so we said, okay, how do we go about building this, and how do we figure this out? And so the company we were working for, unfortunately, we just weren't able to work a deal out with, you know, trying to figure out how to merge or connect with, you know, with the business. So we started Minnesota Ice Sculptures. So, so you were learning the business by working for someone else, and was it that you thought there was more opportunity, or you just wanted to to do it yourself? Or yeah, we thought there was more opportunity. You know, when you know when you've got forty hours worth of work, you know, carving ice sculptures, you can't be out selling. Mm. If you've got you know twenty hours worth of work for carving ice sculptures, you've probably got ten hours of deliveries, and you know you've got ten hours of back end stuff to clean up. So we thought that we'd be able to enter into this, you know, with him and you know, really help move this thing forward. Mm -hmm. And there were just some issues that came about. And so that's why we started our own entity. And we kind of had this agreement for the first six or eight weeks. It didn't last long that we would do all of his logo sculptures because everybody wants their logo precise and our machine can do that. You know, it can do it down to, I don't know. Uh, it's very precise. So, so this is what year that you started Minnesota Ice? Technically 2013. 2013. So we sold off our textbooks from the spring semester. And you were what year in school? I think I would have, this would have technically been senior year. Okay. You know, but, you know, the, the 8 a.m. classes, you know, I was going to go Maybe in for another. Maybe a few credits shy <laughs> yes. of senior year status. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, 
So at this point, did you say once and for all, I'm I'm done with school? No, not yet. So I took summer classes Mm -hmm. and uh, Stu and I, Marjorie Stu, you know how there's the doctor going, you know, scalpel. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm back there handing him the Phillips head screwdriver. So um, he was the artist? He was the... He was the the uh, engineer that built the machine, the okay. first one. So you two built your own ice sculpting machine. Correct. And so, the idea was you were taking some of the human touch out of it and making yep. it more precise and faster? Correct. Okay. Uh, sometimes faster. So that's really what we've learned is, you know, if you want to carve, you know, a dragon, well, this machine can do it. It just might take 50 hours because mm-hmm. it wants to do it so precise. And if you have an artist do it, they can get it done in about three hours. And so when it came to logos, text, you know, just like what we did for the, you know, Twin Cities Business Magazine, that stuff it can do no problem. And it can do it quite fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't normally see an ice sculpture take more than four hours, you know, on a machine. And so that stuff it can really handle easily. But you do need some sort of an artist to actually make some of these larger sculptures. I'm still marveling at the fact that a couple of guys in college figured out how to make a, a, an ice carving machine. How did you have the resources? That that seems hard. Um, you know, it, I guess it wasn't hard for Stu. You know, I've learned so much about these machines now that I very much so understand them. Mm-hmm. He was I an engineering was an, major? Yeah, engin- mechanical engineering major. Okay, okay. And, you know, I remember he ordered in all these parts. And I'm just kind of looking at him like, you know, and we're doing this out of the rental property, this, you know, property I rented in college in my garage. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, there's got to be 15,000 parts here. Like, And how much you... money were you investing in these parts? Uh, we started up with uh, 5,400 bucks each. Okay. And so we sold off our textbooks, had some extra money. <laughs> and, you know, he starts putting this thing together. You know, we spent probably a week or so. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but. We got the thing built and it started moving around. And one of the first things we did before, we couldn't afford the motor that actually cuts the ice mm-hmm. yet. So we duct taped a Sharpie to it and then had it draw pictures out. And it sort of worked, you know. Yeah. But um, it was just so cool to see this thing that was, you know, 10,000 or so parts, you know, finally come alive. Unbelievable. And start moving, you know. So he's making the machine. You're the sales guy. Who was your first customer? How did people know that Minnesota Ice existed? You know, Stu actually got one of his professors to buy an ice sculpture <laughs> for $60. <laughs> Because I said, Stu, I can't go out and sell anything if we don't have any pictures. Uh-huh. Like, who's going to buy something from a company with, yeah, like, you know, just some sexy artwork? Okay, you know, like, so sixty dollar ice sculpture. What was it of? Was it for a party? Uh, it was for. It was like a Santa. You know, okay. so this was. So we started, you know, in the spring building this thing, got it ready for. It was fully functioning by the summer. You can't carve ice when it's a hundred degrees out. Right. You know, we're in a garage. <laughs> So uh, we tried to carve something, you know, for some, you know, probably beer pong thing we did. And it made this huge, wet, watery mess. Had you not thought about that part, that you needed to be in a freezer? We did. We couldn't find one. Uh So, you know, going to, you know, any sort of place that has a freezer and going, listen, I only need 10 square feet. And we'll be, like, totally out of your way and we'll clean up. Like, we're really good people. They kind of look at you and go, no. (laughs) <laughs> like, you're going to get in my way. Like, this is not worth the money. Why would we money. do this? Yeah. 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 And so we had to wait till December to actually get this thing running. And so one of the first ice sculptures Stu carved, he went to go, you know, because you've got to cut the ice sculpture out into a shape. And we hadn't figured out how to fully cut through the ice yet. And so there was probably like a quarter of an inch left. And we would just like 
punch it off with our glove, you know, and like he punched it off and then the ice sculpture fell over and oh, broke. No. Oh no. And we could, you know, you're already basically losing money on this thing. Yeah. You know, and you're just kind of like, uh, what do we do now? And we froze it back together. <laughs> and I think he just told this professor, like, I'm sorry, man. I mean, it's what 60 bucks. Gets right. Me. Did you, were you able to get any pictures? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, yeah. We don't share those anymore. <laughs> you know, was, so yeah. are, at this point, I mean, are you feeling like passionate about ice? Are you just feeling like there is a huge opportunity here? I I'm mean, just loving the startup aspect. Okay. It didn't really matter. The, it could have been anything. Could have been anything you. probably. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So so did that experience lead to more accounts? How did you get yeah. more business? So Red Bull Crashed Ice was coming into town. Oh, right. Red Bull Crashed Ice, Ice Sculptures. So I started going to the bars and restaurants. This was the, this was the big race, the big yep. crazy um, tube in St. Paul. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so it started at the cathedral. So what's around the cathedral? Oh, okay. You know, let's go. Check out, I think it was the Happy Gnome was one of the first clients we had for an ice bar. Mm. They tried freezing a mold of ice. And you can do it. It's just you have to remember you're freezing. You're trying to freeze so much water with fluctuating temperatures and everything else. That's going to take about a month to freeze. Mm. And so um, they called us. Were ice bars a thing then? I'm trying to remember like when ice bars became trendy. Yeah, right around probably then. You know, they okay. they were fairly trendy in the past. So even more trendy down in uh, Rochester. Rochester's been putting on this thing called Social Ice for probably fifteen or twenty years now, hmm. and they're so, you know really trendy down there. I mean, there would be four city blocks, and every bar would have an you know have an ice bar. Wow, uh, for like a ten day period. And you knew how to do that. Um. Of course. <laughs> you told the happy yeah, gnome you knew how to do that. Uh, yeah. You know, and you're kind of looking at it going, you know, hey, we can figure this out. And mm-hmm. so I remember calling Stu and I went, we just sold a $2,000 ice bar. And he went, what? And I'm just like, <laughs> but it needs to have a crashed ice logo that spans three blocks of ice or four blocks of ice, all color fill, and like four other sponsors logos, all color fill. And then this two gingers logo that was 40 inches by 40 inches. So heavily discounted. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that would be probably $10,000. Yeah, I mean, days. how did you even know how to price it? Um, we've already just shot from the hip. You know, and at this point, we need photos. We need yeah. photos to prove <laughs> to people we can do things. Right, right. And so you're going, man, like, my time isn't worth a lot. His time's not worth a lot. If we can cover all of our costs of our material and get, and I think at the time we got like, you know, we each took the $1,000 of profit. and We each paid ourselves $250 back. And then we kept the 250 bucks in the bank and, you know, or 500 of what was left over. And, you know, it was, okay, what are we going to buy next? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it was just kind of extra cushion for us. But And you were, you were able to pull that one off? Yeah. Okay. We got it all pulled off. They were certainly nervous because I started, their event started at seven and I started driving the single blocks of ice one at a time over in the back of my Ford Taurus. <laughs> But that's how we knew how to install ice sculptures. You know, Uh that's, you know, you just huck the thing in the back of your car, get there. You know, they're 300 pounds, roughly. It's not going to melt on the way over. No, and you pick the thing up and you huff and you puff and you get it there. And it was, it was certainly interesting. There were lots of stories like that, you know, just to get started because delivery vans and, you know, cargo vans, trucks, I mean, those things are expensive. Yeah. Even to this day, it blows my mind. The business is is up and running and... 
Did it? Did one project just lead to the next? Did Did yeah. you stay busy? Yep. So one project kind of led to the next, and you know the reason we called it Minnesota Ice Sculptures, right? Was if you're trying to buy an ice sculpture, what are you going to Google? Mm-hmm. Ice sculptures Minnesota, right? Ice sculptures St. Paul, yeah. Ice sculptures MN. Mm-hmm. So, what a great name to call your company because that's what people are going to Google search. Say it, it like it is, you know, and it flows well. It sounds nice. I mean, where else do you want to buy your ice sculptures? Sure, you know. Um, and so we kind of looked at it. And we said, you know, we'll call it this. And so people kept filling out contact forms. You know, and they would reach out to us and, you know, I'd get on phone calls and, you know, sell them out. And was it just the two of you for yeah. for how long? So it was the two of us until the spring. And then that's, you know, so we made it through the winter, you know, so that would have been winter of 13 to 14. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Stu got a job offer. Mm. And he goes, hey, man, you know, and I think, you know, I need to sell this. And I'm just like, uh... Like a like a real job offer, yeah, like a like a yeah, real big, big boy job offer. Okay, okay. You know, graduated out of you know school now, and there um, there was no part of you that wanted one of those. You weren't looking to no, go work for a company. No, not yet. Okay, and I'm glad I didn't. You know, I don't think I could sit and do a corporate job. Yeah, but I kind of looked at him. I was like, well, I don't have any money, man. I thought we were, like I thought this was we were doing this right, and he was just like, yeah, you know, I could help out a little bit here and there, but I just I don't see how without a bunch of extra funding, you know, to buy a freezer to get this thing going, we can make this work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm kind of contemplating it. My parents said that they could help out with part of it, but you kind of, you were like, I don't want you buying this. Like, that would be worse than going to school, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> having mom and dad own part of your company. So, you know, and it, we weren't worth any money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're worth a few thousand dollars. Um, you haven't lost money at this point. I mean, no, we... You, Making some money, yeah. right? Um, you know, like a couple thousand dollars, you mm-hmm. know, but we were producing things and you never knew how sh- how big it could get. It mm-hmm. turns out you can only sell so many ice sculptures to so many people and there's only so many events. And without this really big freezer and without actually having a space to operate, it's going to be, it was a very difficult hurdle for us to overcome. Sure. And so, you know, I'm kind of contemplating this and you know, I'm in between school and it's summertime now. And so I'm headed down to Texas for my grandmother's birthday. And, you know, I'm like not really sure what to do. And I'm trying to run some spreadsheets of what will this cost? What's our rent looking like? And I'm sitting on this airplane and this girl changes seats. And I'm going, all right, just like, you know, pick somebody that's reasonably sized, right? (laughs) You know, like she comes back with this six foot seven guy 200 and some pounds, just built like a tank, straight out of the movie 300. And you're like, oh, great. And we're both, sit, you know, obviously sitting in the back of the plane. Yeah. And he sits down and he's bugging me and bugging me. And you're just like, dude, what's going on? He's like, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, you're a talker. Uh-huh. So who is this mystery man interested in investing in Minnesota ice just in the nick of time? Find out right after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best and Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. 
Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Robbie is about to land an investor on a plane, in coach, no less. Who the heck is he? Let's find out. Sure, guy on an airplane, like, you know, and, you know, we get the notification that, you know, hey, plane's going to be landing. And I finally look at him and I go, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. He goes, well, I'm Cohen Leffler, the, you know, longest tenured Minnesota Vikings player of the, and you're like. You didn't recognize him. Does anybody recognize a long snapper? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, uh, and you're just like, uh, okay, well, cool. Um. Yeah, like, do, uh, do you have like a card? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Do, does the NFL give football players cards? I don't know. But um, so he gave me his cell phone number, and you're just kind of like, this actually might work. You know, why in the world was he interested in this young guy who says he does ice carvings for a living and has no freezer? Well, so we didn't tell him about the freezer part. Okay. You know, that, you know, you, you got to walk the people down the path. Oh, I mean, that's yes. part of it too. You know, you got to get people excited. Sure, sure. And then go, this is where we think you can help. Mm-hmm. Help us get a freezer. Yeah. And um, what, what do you think uh, spoke to him about your story? I think it was just the fact that there's, you know, a young kid that has a startup and they're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get going. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in college and, you know, we weren't asking for $100,000. How much was, did you think you needed? Uh, we thought we needed about 10. Yeah. And it turned out we needed like 20. And 20. and did you throw those numbers out to, to no, him on the plane? Not at the time. Okay. And so, you know, looking back on it, you know, if you think where he's at with his career, you know, he's 10 years in, nine or 10 years in. Mm-hmm. Long snappers don't make it much more than 12 or 13, which is a great NFL career. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he probably was trying to get ready for the next thing. Yeah. He's riding in the back of the plane. I'm still thinking about that yeah. for a minute. Huh. Well, they don't make that. I Not mean, they glamorous. Make, they make you. good money, but they don't make that much money. Okay. You know, Interesting. They're, they're no Aaron Rodgers. So you really did follow up and, and he yeah. really did come on board? Yeah. So how involved did he become? Was it just money or? Uh, so he, he loaned us $10,000, mm-hmm. which bought us the first freezer. All right. So now you've got a little bit of money. So yep. you're able to get some freezer space. Th- then what happens? So um, this was at an interesting point in my life. So I had met uh, a good friend of mine who was running the Baker Center. And, you know, we're trying to find space where we can install this freezer. We had come up with temporary space where we could make the ice sculptures. But this was that Shakopee plant. Mm-hmm. And so this is where all the 300-pound ice blocks were being made. Everything was very tight down there. There wasn't a lot of space. And on top of that, it's a 45-minute drive. Mm-hmm. So you drive 45 minutes to work, then 45 minutes home, and then you drive 45 minutes back to work to pick up the ice sculptures. Mm-hmm. Then wherever you go in the Twin Cities, then back home. And it's just this huge runaround and a huge waste of time. And so we were able to get space on the lower level of Baker Center, hmm. lower level two. So no windows, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very much bootstrapped. We cleared all the junk out of this place. And we figured out how to install a freezer. But little did we know, it's not just building the freezer and like turning it on like you do with your refrigerator at home. It's like refrigeration work and like actual electrical work that you don't think about because I've never done this. Sure. And so um, 
you know, that's where I say, you know, we got a $10,000 loan, but we really needed like 20 mm-hmm. was because then we had to go out and hustle. So I went back to Cohen and I said, Hey man, I got the electrical bid. It turns out it's, you know, 5,000 in the refrigeration bids, 5,000. And he was just like, well, that's too bad, man. Like you said you needed 10. And I went, mm. um, I don't know, man, like you can't help out with this. And he's like, well, why don't you just go sell some more stuff? <laughs> and you're just like, oh. Okay. Okay. I see how this is going to go. All right. So we went out and hustled and, you know, we're able to pay for it. I'm sure we were late on paying the bills, but, but you got it done. Today. Yeah. So, well, not quite today. So this brings you to, to what, what year are we in now? Is we're this? Probably in 15, 16, right okay. in there. So for that period of time between then and the Super Bowl, uh, which was in Minneapolis in 20. 18, right? Yep. Um, and I feel like that's kind of when things really took off for you. For, for that period of time, were you just sort of humming along? Were, were the orders coming in fast and furious? Was it steady? Were so, you actually making a living? No. Oh, no. Oh, Where were you I living? Mean, like, uh, I lived on a three-season porch. Okay. Uh, I ate terrible food. I mean, it was like cans and, you know... Whenever I got a hamburger, it was great. But, you know, it was like tuna sandwiches and, you know, this three-season porch was freezing cold. We were just not paying much for rent and that's all that mattered. And so, you know, you're kind of getting this thing going. And Cohen's made some good connections to the wild and he's made some good connections to the Vikings. And you would get these orders, but it just ebbs and flows and sure. you know, peaks and valleys. And, and and what happens in the summer? Is it just sort of... Nothing. Yeah. Like you'd sell some ice sculptures to weddings, but... You know, it turned out like this market probably isn't as big as we were hoping. So is there part of you that's thinking maybe I need to pursue a different business or go get a regular job? Um, sort of. And so this is kind of where, um, I don't know if you know, I actually ran another company before, you know, and I sold it off. No, I didn't so know that. So we were running, um, so we were running Minnesota Ice and, you know, when it peaked, we had, you know, staff we could pull from this other company. It was called Wholesale Androids. So a good friend of mine from high school connected through paintball. Again, this all intertwines, which is so weird. It all comes back to paintball. Um, you know, he, his name was David and he got me and he's like, listen, man, I know ICE is doing okay. Our overhead was nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we had kind of, you know, we have made payments back on this stuff and, you know, rent was cheap. Um, we actually spent way more in parking than we did in rent every month, <laughs> you know, in downtown. Yeah. And so, um. He, uh, he was like, he's, he's running this kind of, he would buy trade any, you know, phones from GameStop in like in the quantities of 500 or a thousand, go through test of all and then resell them on eBay. Hmm. And you're going, so basically reverse supply chain logistics. And, you know, so we started buying some inventory from him and this was with a good high school friend of mine. And we thought, oh, this could get us a couple of thousand dollars to do something at, you know, Minnesota ice. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to my good friend, Peter, and he, you know, him and I started this business together and he kind of went, does the guy have any more? And it was just like, it went from one lot to, I think we bought over 1200 lots of different cell phones and reverse supply chain stuff. We started buying from Amazon. We started buying from GameStop directly. Hmm. It was just crazy. And um, so it worked well because when ICE was slow, we moved everybody over to wholesale Androids. When wholesale Androids when ice picked up we just kind of shuffled people back got it 
But then the Super Bowl happened, and we were looking at this wholesale androids company going, we're basically glorified garage salesmen. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, it's fun. Every day a pallet of stuff shows up, it's like Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. look at this stuff. Like, but you're like, we can't do this anymore. And Super Bowl came along, and here coming some, you know, some of the largest ice orders in ice sculpture history. Well, so so stop there for a second. So so you know that the Super Bowl is coming. It's a big deal. A lot yep. of lot of you know build up to that. Are you thinking to yourself, this is my chance? There's going to be a lot of ice needed yep. for a Super Bowl in Minneapolis in January. So at this point, I think it was that summer we had shut down wholesale androids, mm-hmm. and I'm just going, I got to figure this out. And that's when I first met our director of sales, Eric Eastman. Mm-hmm. He called me up. First, you know, when we first got into MGM Liquor, he had called me probably four months prior to that. And he keeps telling me how, oh, it's so cool you guys do this and blah, blah. And I'm kind of thinking, who is this guy? Like, obsessed with ice, huh? Yeah. And so he invited me out to this black and blue uh, shop over in St. Paul. They were doing kind of a cocktail night where you could buy clothes that turns out I couldn't afford. (laughs) Um, And, you know, he made this joke to me that he wanted to come work for me. And, you know, I'm just thinking, like, Super Bowl is coming. I'm going to have to focus on actually running the business rather than selling it all. Hmm. And I'm going, I don't know who this guy is. Like, I don't know about, you know, like how, who he is or what he does or, you know, how much this could cost. And him and I were able to work on a deal together. And, you know, he largely managed a lot of the contracts, going out and selling them. When Budweiser called or whoever else called, you know, he would take all the orders in. And as we're watching these block counts of how much ice we're going to need go from 25 to 50 to 200 to 1,000, you're going, we can't make all of this. And so that's when it kind of came to this realization, like, we need to find another facility, but just to fulfill this, you know, temporary demand. So this temporary demand, is this all coming back to companies Googling ice sculpture in Minnesota? And they're, they're finding you? Yes. And all of these big brands that wanted to have a presence at the Super Bowl here, they all wanted ice. Yeah. And so we had this big stipulation. I had this big thing with, with websites because I had helped so much at the paintball companies and other companies where, you know, I, I liked building websites. It was really fun. So we would change our website every year. And so we always had this really cool new website where the other guys were kind of from 2002, you know? <laughs> and so we actually had, you know, at the time, you know, WordPress website was really nice. And um, so you came to us and you got this little pop-up and said, ready to order an ice sculpture? We took your name, your email, and your phone. Mm-hmm. That was it. And do you know how many people fill that out? Because it's three questions. How many? Like boatloads. When we started deploying that strategy, you know, I think responses on the website went up like, you know, 500%. So I just remember in in the build up to the Super Bowl and I mean it was it was it was such a fun time in so much energy in For who? <laughs> okay, did for you me. I did. I did. I had a ball. It, I was being out there all the celebrities, all the stuff going on at Nicollet Mall. It was so much fun. And I just remember hearing as we were looking, um, I was primarily focusing on Minneapolis St. Paul magazine at the time and looking for unique, interesting stories. And, and somebody, I don't even know who it was, maybe it was through Eric Eastman, you know, said, 
you know, there's this local company, this this young guy who is making <laughs> all of these ice sculptures that, that we're talking big national brands. Like name a few brands who called you for an ice sculpture. I mean, besides the, you know, NFL, we did Budweiser. I mean, we did, I mean, lots of construction companies. Mountain Dew called us. We did Target. I mean. Everybody wanted one. I mean, it was it was literally like Nicollet Mall, which if you're if you're not in the Twin Cities is kind of the, you know, the the main uh, drag in the middle of downtown. And that was sort of the the epicenter of all of the Super Bowl celebration outside of the stadium. And it was literally just one ice sculpture after the other. And there's Robbie Harrell making these ice sculptures. Well, being a crew of a lot of ice sculptors from out of town. How did you find them? So we originally had this plan that we were going to move into this cold storage facility that they were ripping down shortly later. And so we were going to have a short-term lease. And we bought this new machine. And so Mark is extremely talented, got the machine put together. And I remember going to him and going, they canceled our lease. And he goes, what do you mean? And it's like, we have to figure out how to put this machine into our 15 by 30 walk-in freezer, which is tiny, you mm-hmm. know. Originally, we were going to have a... I mean, now we were going to have a freezer that we rented for, I think it was like five grand for six months, you know, a month. It was the size of a football field. Okay. And now we have to do this out of a 15 by 30, you know, freezer in the basement. And so him and I come up with this plan to drop shipping containers all up and down my street at my house because it's cold outside, right? Right. That. You know, this is where we started. We started carving ice in the garage where it was cold. (laughs) Let's just do it again. Yeah. And so I walked around and I apologized to all of my neighbors. And they're (laughs) like, who is this kid that's dropping shipping containers? Like there must have been, I don't know, there was a lot of them. And they were all labeled, you know, what was inside of them. And the neighbors said, yes, they let you do this. Well, here's what I figured. Who? Okay, so you're going to say no, right? Like, it's public parking. They drop those pod containers all the time. Yeah. What are you going to do, tow it? I doubt it. You're doing this on city streets. Yeah. And you didn't get ticketed. You didn't get called by the city. No, I think they had the Super Bowl to worry about, not me. (laughs) And inside these containers, you've got, like, the official Super Bowl Bowl sign. And all of these big companies. Yeah. Somehow you you get this done. Do you end up, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't sleep for weeks. No. Did you make money on the Super Bowl? I wish. I don't think we did. (laughs) Really? You You got tons of attention. We, you know, we we did over a million dollars in sales. Mm -hmm. And we got shorthanded on a couple of small deals. You know, they came in, ordered stuff, and then, you know, wouldn't write checks, Mm. phones disconnected, things Mm. like that. And it was just all of this work, and we paid everybody. Everybody else got paid. All the suppliers got paid. But I think the company walked away with maybe 50000 bucks at most. So th- what, a, what a weird roller coaster ride where you're getting tons of press and you're getting accolades and you can see your work there for everybody to enjoy. Um, but, but you're exhausted. You're not making any money. You're learning kind of the, the rough side of business. How did you come away from that whole Super Bowl experience? What were you thinking? I mean, it was an awesome ride, right? We had 20-some people staying at my 1,500-square-foot home. It was like a hostel. You know, we were driving around doing all of this stuff. It's such a memorable experience that, yeah, do I wish we would have made more? Of course. But um, all said and done, Every little business lesson that came about of it was worth every penny that we didn't make. 
Hmm. And so I'm coming out of this going, okay, we have some money. We have some money from, you know, past projects. We used to do a, quite a number of ice sculptures at U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, and you know, kind of all pre-COVID. And um, I'm just going, where's this thing going to go next? You know, I've hired this gentleman, Eric. Mm-hmm. I've basically promised him a real full-time job. I need, a real full, yeah, yeah. I need a real full-time job. Yeah, you need to get out of the three-season porch. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and at this time I had gotten out. Okay. Um, you know, I had moved in a little bit closer to work in Minneapolis. Okay. And so, you know, I'm just kind of looking at it going, you know, we're in probably 175 bars and restaurants at this time. and Selling ice cubes. Yes, the cocktail ice. Yep. Okay. We should, we should, maybe we should pause there and talk because we've focused so much on the ice sculptures. Yeah. At the same time that you were building the ice sculpture business, you also started making ice cubes. Yeah. So I suppose that's a little more practical. It is. Uh, reoccurring revenue. Once the bar and restaurant starts using it, you know, they basically order every week or every other week. And it's a lot easier of an order because it's not so custom. Every ice sculpture you sell is custom made for that person. Mm-hmm. A two inch by two inch crystal clear ice cube isn't. Mm-hmm. Unless it's engraved, but, you know, it's still a reoccurring order, you know. Now, I don't know if everybody will be surprised to hear that that bars are ordering all this ice, that they're not just, I mean, ice, can't they just, like, go to the gas station and, and pick it up? Like, talk about what the what the demand is there and what you created. Yeah. So all of our ice cubes come out of these 300-pound ice blocks. Each ice block takes three to five days to make, and you yield about six to 800 cubes per block. And each block is 20 inches by 40 inches by 10 inches thick. And so you can imagine, you know, if you only get about three to five, you know, if it takes one block three to five days to make, if you're going to make 100 blocks of this product, you need a lot of square footage. And these things are really heavy. They're about 300 pounds. They're hard to move. And they take a lot of work to cut apart. And so I originally found out about this market because I had just moved over to the Eat Street, you know, kind of area. Mm-hmm. And I went to Eat Street Social with, you know, one of my good friends and I order this or an old fashioned goes out by me and I see this chunk of ice sticking out of it. And you're going, what is that? Mm-hmm. I'll take one of those. Mm-hmm. And they come out and start putting my finger in my drink. And I'm like, where do they get this ice? So I go and talk to the bartender. And, and, and it was just, it was, it was beautiful. Just, it was, yeah, like, it was just, big, thick chunk, yeah. crystal clear ice. Mm-hmm. And so what people don't, the, the reason an ice block takes so long to freeze is, you're directionally freezing it from the bottom up, and you have to keep that water rotating for it to freeze crystal clear. And whenever you see white in ice, it's all air bubbles. So mm. it's not true hard, dense ice. And so, you know, you pour a warm, you know, cocktail over it or, you know, gin or anything, even if it's coming from the freezer, it's still warmer than the ice. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have dense ice, it's, you know, going to melt right through all of that air. And, and did so, you already know all of this from your ice sculpture learnings? Uh, I didn't know anything about cocktail ice. Okay. And so, you know, I started doing some Googling and I'm talking to this guy at Eat Street and he's like, well, yeah, we, we buy these 300 pound ice blocks. And he's like, do you want to come downstairs and see? And I kind of tell him I'm a nice guy. And he's just like, you go downstairs and there's this 300 pound ice block that they've somehow manhandled on top of this kitchen, you know, like stainless steel table. And there's guys down there chipping it apart with ice picks. Hmm. And he's just like, yeah, man, like last week we had a guy, you know, that, you know, is now, you know, having to take a week off because he got tennis elbow from chipping too much ice. Oh, my gosh. And you're going, oh, my gosh. And you're seeing opportunity. Yeah. 
And and this was, we should say, around the time that that these really kind of bespoke cocktails that were sort of like works of art yep. were, were becoming really popular yeah, at a lot know. of bars. Yep. And so this is, you know, back in the days with Eat Street Social, you know, with Nick Kosovich and mm-hmm. Marco and, you know, right as kind of the craft cocktail industry is taking off. Yep. And I remember going there and, you know, really trying to push, you know, Joe and Sam and Blue and the rest of the guys like, what do you think about using this? And they really like this hand chipped piece. And they're just like, no, like, dude, we do it our own way. No, thank you. Blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh man, I got to get this. I got to get this business. Like this is so, like, this could be so good for us. Mm -hmm. And this is probably probably six or eight months before Eric came on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is just, you know, roughly before Super Bowl. Mm Because he came on, I think it was like September before Super Bowl. Um, And so I get this phone call from Blue and he goes, hey, man. Uh, do you have any ice? And I'm like, yeah, what do you need? He's just like, I'll take whatever you got. You know, our shards and the shards are all uniquely hand chipped pieces of ice. He goes, if you have any of those, I'll take those. And he goes, I know you don't have what we hand chip for old fashions, but do you have any two inch by two inch square cubes? Hmm. And I go, I'm sure I do. And he's like, if you can get them here in the next 45 minutes, You'll earn all of our ice business. What? And this was where? At what place? Eat Street Social. Oh, okay. Okay. And I go, and I literally stand up from the dinner table with my parents. Food's coming out. I don't know where we were. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I got to go. Get in my car and I drive away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's my entree just sitting. <laughs> my dad calls me and goes, what happened? And I'm like, this could be a big, a big deal for us. Uh-huh. So I, did you have someone to help you make the cubes? Did we already, we you had, had some on hand. Okay. You know, because there were, you know, you'd call in, you know, a couple of, you know, we'd get some requests here and there for them. Okay. Um, and these were those totally clear, yep. beautiful cubes Crystal that you clear literally cubes. can't even see when you yeah. put them in the glass. Yep. Okay. So you get them to Eat Street Social in 45 minutes? Yep. Get them to Eat Street Social. Uh, the management team. So I think Jaron, Joe, and Sam came out and, you know, we're bringing them down to the basement and they're just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This makes way more sense now. And you're just like, yeah. So like, this is kind of what we do. These are our capabilities. So in partnership with them, you know, this is how we came along with our cylinder product line, you know, which is a, you know, one of our top performer product lines. Uh, so it's a cylindrical shape that's two and a half inches tall and two and a half inches wide. And, you know, it basically perfectly fit into their glass with what they wanted to pour in and made a perfect wash line. And the rest is, you know, kind of history. So, all right. So, so you've got this built business building, which is more regular, more stable than ice sculptures, which come and go with big events. Yep. The Super Bowl, you get this big splash. Now people know that you make these cubes, you can do sculptures. Super Bowl's over. You've now got a, a, a rock star salesman yep. in Eric Eastman who has relationships with all the bars and all of these um, uh, amazing um, craft cocktail creators. What happens next? You know, I... I've, I'm kind of looking at it going, what are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. Eric's closing accounts and we're going, okay, we're kind of poised for growth. We need to find probably a new home and we need to figure out how to cut some costs here. And finding a new home is not a way to cut costs. You know, it's going to drive up our expenses. And we had two weird kind of phone calls happen in one week. And I think the first was Holiday Gas Stations called us and said, hey, do you do packaged ice? 
So this is your run-of-the-mill, cheap kind of gas station ice. They don't need them to be pretty. Nope. Okay. It's just in your like, okay. Uh, and I owned this ice machine where we were hand scooping it out for like, you know, putting it around the base of the ice sculptures and whatnot. And just like every entrepreneur, you go, well, of course we do. Of course. Yeah, of course we do, you know. And so they want to set up a meeting. The next phone call comes from the landlord. And they want to meet one-on-one. And you're going, uh-oh, <laughs> it's finally time. And she kind of just politely told us, hey, you know, we've grown a very good business here. You're overutilizing some of the assets we have here. <laughs> because, you know, the only way we can get in and out of the basement is through a stairwell mm-hmm. or the freight elevator. Mm-hmm. So when you're walking, you always take the stairs. It's way faster. But when you're loading ice sculptures out, you have to take the freight elevator. Sure. I don't know what freight elevators cost to operate, but I don't think they're cheap. Okay. <laughs> and so she's just like, I can give you about four months to find a new home. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you'll have to move everything out. Yeah. So we start working with their, you know, their brokers and looking and looking and looking and we don't find anything. And I kind of go back to her and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like, we can't, you know, like, talk to your team. Like, there's nobody. We just can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Do you know how hard it is to get a place through like some of these big property management companies? They want to see multiple years financials, mm. all the stuff, and you're just going, oh, man. Like, who, who would have thought that that's the hardest part of yeah. building this business? Not the idea, not the product, not yep. the clients, the actual freezer space. Yep. So we find this building off of Prior Avenue in St. Paul, you know, just south of the State Fair. Yeah. And it's got, you know, Blackstack Brewery in it. It's got Can Can Wonderland in it. And, you know, you talk to this guy and he's just like, oh, yep, you guys seem like a perfect fit. Didn't ask for any financials. Amazing. You know, he's like, all, you know, here's the space. Here's what we're thinking. Like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And it's like, let's put some garage doors here. And, you know, we're just bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's just like, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And so I say the one stipulation I have I have until the end of November to get out of my space. And he goes, there's no way we're going to be ready in time. Mm. And I'm just going, what can we move in anyways? Mm-hmm. We basically move into like a construction site. And I think everybody was looking at me going, what is he thinking? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had some ideas. I had some plans. But we dropped this little freezer in that's 15 by 30. But, you know, our space has got to be 100 by, you know, it's probably 100 by 100, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're going, you've bought so much space. Like, what are you going to do with all this? Right. And I've kind of got in the back of my head, you know, we just got this new loan for this walk-in freezer that's 50 by 50. And we were working on some intellectual property and some automation that would help reduce the cost of our manufacturing for the cocktail ice because the cocktail ice has now become a very, you know, serious revenue stream. And and we should say, not just locally, you, you sh- are shipping ice around the country. Yes. Which so, is so mind-boggling to me. I mean, are, are there not other companies doing, I mean, I just can't imagine shipping ice. Yeah. So other com- there are other companies in almost every state, um, but they don't do it as cost-effective as us. And we're very good. You know, we we went into the ice sculpting industry with automation and how do we make this faster and better? And some of it worked and some of it didn't. I mean, we failed at so many different things. Um, but, you know, we've really got really good at 
manufacturing cocktail ice to the point where we can ship you about 100 cubes anywhere in the nation. With shipping included, it's $100. Hmm. FedEx overnight. and In, it's in like a dry ice? Dry ice, or? insulated container. So very similar to like Omaha Steaks. Okay. And most people won't even, you know, locally, like down in Texas, they won't even drive to you and sell you a cube for a dollar. Hmm. Let alone ship it across the country. And you're making money off of that? Yes. Okay. And it's just all through our, you know, improvement of manufacturing methods mm-hmm. of how we've gotten a lot better. So along this line of robots, I've got this great idea, right? I can fully automate this production line. We're, and this is how we're going to pay for this facility. We're going to be able to afford all this space when we get this robot in place and we enter into an agreement with a, manufa- uh, a local engineering company. They quote it out, fixed bid, not to exceed contract. We're moving along and construction still happening at the existing facility. So you're trying to balance these two different things. And then on top of that holiday, you know, with the package dice is coming to us going, hey, we're going to, we're going to give you like 20 some, I think it was 20 stores roughly. And you're going, this is great. So there's really big projects all in play now. Mm-hmm. So getting us out of downtown was probably the biggest blessing in disguise. Sure. But then project one with the automation of the robot falls through. They come back and tell you, hey, we told you it was a not to exceed bid. I understand that's the contract. It's going to be four times the price. Well, I have a bank loan against this. I've already given them 80% of the money. They've already burned it all. And we should say at no point, other than than your your small investment from from Cullen, is he and is he still involved he at is this not. point? I bought him back out when he was released from the Vikings. Okay. Um, but but no outside investors. You weren't going, I mean, this was all just putting money back into the business and and bank loans. Correct. So when did you really start making money? Were you making money before the pandemic hit? Yes. That was our first like real profitable year. Okay. And you're finally 2020. like, yep, you're finally like, this is it. See, you know, there were bumps in the road, but this is it. Like, so like 2019 into 2020, you, you got all of the, the mechanics of it worked out. Yep. And, and were you, would you say you were making more money on the, the cocktail cube business or on ice sculptures? Or was it both? Um, so pretty close both. They were pretty 50-50. The nice part was is when it came to ice sculptures, that's where we have our, our, all of our expertise. Yeah. That's what we've been doing the longest. We're really pretty good at it. Um, you know, there's always bumps in every project, but... We're really good at it. Um, and the cocktail ice, we were also good at, you know, and it was, you know, these new product lines that we we're hitting bumps in the road with. And it turns out that can get really expensive to self-fund. Then on top of that, moving into a new facility, not having equipment show up on time or some equipment at all, you're kind of going, oh, we got to balance this. We got to balance this. Mm-hmm. And then what is that? November of... Pandemic was in March of 20. Mm-hmm. So November of 19, we go, we got to drive these costs down. So at this point, we acquire the place where all of the raw material is made, all of the ice blocks are made. That for me to be able to be successful, I couldn't keep paying, you know, the inflated prices and I needed to own the manufacturing mm. of it all. So I own the full scale of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so at this point, very much so understood that, you know, we put down a down payment. It wasn't a whole lot, um, but, you know, it was like 50 or 75 grand, I think. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good chunk of change. And, yeah. Um, 
you know, we agreed to let him sell, you know, he was going to sell or finance it. And, you know, at this point that was really going to help with the costs and March of 20 came. Yeah. So great January, uh, great February. Things are looking up. Facilities looking good. We have too much, we still have too much space, you know, at the time, but you're going, this is it. We've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, we actually made it through it. We made it through the construction build out. There were some rough negotiations with our landlord, you know, with this engineering project that went wrong. You lost money during your first packaged ice season. You know, you're just like, I think this is it. We've done it. You're finally, finally going to start making some money. And then a global pandemic strikes. Yes. And shuts down your largest revenue streams. Bars and restaurants and events. Yeah. Hospitality industry. Yeah. And you just got out of all this bumpy, you know, all of these bumpy roads with your landlord and with everybody else. And you're going back to them going, I'm telling you, we're a feasible business. We've done this. And We've did you still scale. believe this? I mean, with yeah. all of the ups and downs, I mean, there was never a point in which you're like, there have got to be easier ways to make a living. Oh, that question has certainly been asked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Moving 300-pound ice blocks, maybe not the easiest way to make a living. Yeah. But at this point, you're in deep. And not like, you know, you're just like, I didn't come through all of this to not make it out, you know. We finally were just getting comfortable in January and February. Mm-hmm. We finally just made this huge, you know, huge acquisition to make all of our own ice. You know, there's all these beautiful machines everywhere. Like, this is what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was two weeks into March that Governor Walls shut down bars and restaurants. Yeah. And I'm looking at Eric like, you know, March is our tough, our tough time. January, February, great for sculptures. March, pretty hit or miss. April is always down. Mm -hmm. It's not warm enough outside for packaged ice. Not many people are going, you know, they're still going to bars and restaurants, but less and less. And there's no sculptures. How did you get through? Um, So we gave everybody two weeks off. And we said, we are technically laying you off for two weeks, but I will come up with a plan in two weeks. And in two weeks' time, for the most part, everybody will be employed again. So I sat down with the head of my production department and we came up with a plan with him. I sat down with my Mark, my engineer, and tried to come up with a plan with him. And then I sat down with Eric and, you know, said, what, you know, with Eric especially, what do we have here that people need Mm -hmm. before packaged ice season comes along? And, you know, we have freezer space, we have cold trucks, you know, we've got delivery guys, what else can we do? Hmm. And, you know, the Minnesota Department of Health reached out. You know, there's a huge shortage of freezer space. And oh, yeah. That didn't bode so well with me. You know, it might have paid the bills, but, you know, what happens if it turns back on? What mm-hmm. happens when summer comes? What happens if, the, you know, remember before Easter mm-hmm. or... <laughs> Two weeks to slow the spread. You know, you, you just didn't know when it was going to turn back on. And if you entered into a relationship and, you know, the whole right. idea of what they were going to use my freezers for just didn't sound good to me. Yeah. So Eric, myself, and uh, director of marketing, Kim, came up with an online store where we would bring the, you know, whoever, you know, for the most part, whoever wanted to be on the online store, Big Watt Coffee, you know, Bitter Cube. Crybaby Craig's, I mean, they could all be on this online store. 
and you as the consumer could come onto our store, buy, you know, multiple Minnesota made products and we would deliver them in mm. our freezer, you know, in our freezer trucks because you can warm them up or cool them down. Sure. And so you could get a bag of ice, you could get a human hotel cocktail kit or a meteor cocktail kit, some crybaby crags, milk jam ice cream, you know, cold brew, you know, mm. uh, big watt coffee and our guys would deliver it. We warmed up one of our freezers to a refrigerator, the walk-in. We kept the other freezer at temp. And so we went around and delivered these things. We then partnered with, you know, Grand Cafe and all these other restaurants to start doing meal kits where you cook these meals at home from these restaurants. Sure. So the restaurants started started um, pivoting and innovating and coming mm-hmm. up with ways to get food to people when they couldn't come in, but they needed that delivery mechanism yep. and they needed to keep things at the appropriate temperature. That's where you came in. So that, exactly. So that kept the lights on and, and got you through. But that only equated to my delivery drivers for staff, right? That's how we keep them busy now. They're fulfilling orders. Right. I have a full production crew to keep busy. These are very, very loyal employees that have been with me through thick and thin. And one of them just goes, well, Hefe, you know, we used to landscape. <laughs> and I went, okay, we can do that. So I reached out to so many great friends that were, you know, I was very fortunate to have. And, you know, one of them was, uh, you know, was Zach Quinn. And, you know. Of I, Love Your Melon. Yeah, Love Your Melon. And, you know, between him some things we did at my parents' house, you know, we basically charged it out at what it cost me. You became um, a landscaper. And we became a landscaping company. We did like, you know, six figures worth of jobs. Unbelievable. Because a very awkward springtime, which is six to eight weeks, until packaged ice kicks back on, we don't really have much work for these guys. And these guys will go find new jobs. Mm-hmm. So we literally just drove around town and I took landscaping tools from my parents in my house, in my shed. You know, I think Eric brought some over. And you know, we just went from job to job to job. Yeah, survival mentality. Survival mentality. So the, so the ice business, the bar business did did return. Yep. Um, ice sculpture. I mean, events are still a little rocky. Is, has the ice sculpture business come back? You know, we're still being affected by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you recall, bars and restaurants shut back down later that year mm-hmm. through um, 2021, through about half, you know, first two, three weeks of January. We were very fortunate to have some clients in other states where, you know, we're working outdoors and we felt very safe. Mm. But, you know, weddings aren't still happening as much. Not as many ice bars at the Wild Games. And, you know, we're still feeling the effects of it. Um, like right now, especially with Omicron going around, bars and restaurants, you know, are certainly feeling, you know, the slowdown as well. And, you know, with our partners down in Miami, New York and Chicago, uh, you know, where we actually ship semi trucks of this stuff, you know, we're watching sales slow a bit. Hmm. But this is kind of that time of year. So we I like to refer to it as the New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve hangover. So Christmas happens, New Year's Eve. One to two weeks later, you get your credit card bill and everybody goes, oh, yeah. And everybody takes a step back. And usually it comes back around in February when everybody's really sick of this negative eight, negative 10 degree weather. People start going back out and having fun. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure if it's just part of that or if it's a combination of the two. But I still think there are a lot of people out there that since the pandemic still really aren't going out to eat. 
Mm-hmm. And so we're still feeling the effects of it, but we're in a very fortunate situation where through, you know, a couple of acquisitions and through, you know, new management, we've got a nice new management team on board. Um, we've really been able to hone this in, hone in our costs, make things more efficient. And the construction level of projects happening at the office are certainly slowing down. We're really getting settled in, honing in on the processes and adding nationwide shipping and the rest of that, you know, has grown us to the point where when this fully returns, we'll be sitting very nice. But for right now, you know, we're still doing really good. What, what, is, what is really good at this point? Um, so last year we did about 3x growth, um, you know, and we broke 3 million. Next year we're easily, you know, on track to about nine. That's amazing. Yeah. And you have, you have how, how big is the team at this point at Minnesota Ice? So it peaks largely during the summer. Um, but right now I think we have about 37 employees. And then this earlier this summer we had 54. And so it peaks for packaged ice season. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a lot more delivery drivers. We're in over, I want to say about 250 packaged ice accounts, 265 bars and restaurants just here in the Twin Cities. And then, you know, a few hundred sculpture ice clients. This is becoming slowly but surely a, a more, you know, kind of grown-up operation. Where do you focus your time at this point? And would you say that the, the kind of crazy, like, oh, we'll find a way to piece this together, those kind of calls, are they becoming fewer and farther between? Are you more equipped to just handle those things now? They are. They are. Um, you know, it's when you get the, I need, you know, an ice sculpture that's 160 blocks and you place your order super late in the month, you know, that's when it gets a little difficult. But, you know, we've got enough, we've got a lot of a great, you know, kind of adults on hand now um, that are planning for these things, planning for missteps. So we have plenty of ice on hand, making sure we have extra staff or, you know, extra bandwidth to get things done. And when we don't, you know, we do know, hey, if you want something crazy last minute, we know what things cost now to fly somebody in, fly two people in, you know, because we're kind of the one-stop shop. If you want something done, we have all the resources and connections to get people here to get it done mm-hmm. if we can't fulfill. Um, what What so, is your day-to-day now? Um, so literally this summer, you know, we lost the operations manager we originally had, and, you know, we hired a new we hired a new ops manager, and then he, this gentleman we had was kind of an assistant ops manager, and they both quit with like 48 hours notice. So, you know, as early as this summer, I was helping out on trucks. But now more these days that we have, you know, we've got an actual plant manager, we have an assistant plant manager coming on, we have a chief operating officer. Um, you know, my day-to-day is to be working on the business and not as much in the business. Mm-hmm. What drives you? Just the continued growth. This is so much, I mean, like every day is different. You should see the office from when we first moved in. The place looked like a dump. <laughs> I mean, it was awful. You know, it, it was an old Goodwill sorting facility. And before that, it was a spam canning factory. And it sat empty for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's be able to grow this and be able to expand outward, adding all this new machinery. The fact that we can go out and create these experiences like the ice sauna out in Freehouse, you mm-hmm. know, at the Freehouse, like even going out to Green Bay and doing stuff for the Packers, the smiles that the ice sculptures bring in, the question of what is this clear ice in my drink, mm-hmm. you know, and then 
I mean, I didn't go to school for manufacturing. So being able to figure that stuff out is so cool. Yeah. You know? And on top of that, I have like all of this energy <laughs> and I have to exhaust it somewhere. <laughs> you know, I used to swim a lot and, you know, it, that's still really fun to do, but I can't swim all day, you know? So <laughs> you can make ice. You can make ice. You know, we can look over the machinery and there's always things to improve upon. And, you know, I know in a few years here, we're going to be on to the next plant. And what I'm really looking forward to is moving into this new plant and this new facility at some point. You know, we don't know where it is or we have zero plans behind it yet. Mm -hmm. But be able to execute that one so much better based on everything we've learned in the past. Hmm. You know, and hopefully it's not a big frantic move. Yeah. That's the goal. Do you see yourself um, in the ice business one way or the other, you know, for 10, 20 years from now? Um. You know, it's been very interesting. We've we've had some very interesting discussions with big nationwide conglomerates and, you know, things like that. We're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, five, 10 years from now, yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I see this on the horizon of how we will continue to expand out. At some point, I'm sure, a gr- you know, a grand new opportunity will come along that will certainly be interesting. You know, at some point, I will pass the reins on to somebody. Um you know, it's always fun to move, you know, move on to a new project. Yeah. But for right now, this has, you know, all yeah. of my attention. You could always get back to paintball. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I did that for a while, <laughs> you know. Turns out, you know, that, you know, there's only so many people that want to play paintball, too. Right. But, but ice, there's Everybody just, needs it. Everybody needs it. Well, Robbie Harrell, it is quite a story. It has been so fun to, to follow you on your journey all the way. And, and I'm sure there's uh, many more amazing sculptures <laughs> ahead. Yes. Thanks, thanks Thank for chatting with us and congrats on all the success. Thank you. Thanks for having us out today. Well, lots to be inspired by from Robbie's story, which, of course, continues to evolve. For more perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship and one of Robbie's actual professors. Associate Professor Alec Johnson had Robbie in class, and I have to ask Professor Johnson, did he pass? (laughs) He passed. Oh, good. And he is a lovely student, you can hear that he's just such a warm and lovely human being. No, we love Robbie. I, I I think it must be a unique challenge when you are teaching entrepreneurship to deal with people like Robbie who are out there doing it at the same time they're learning about it. It certainly is a challenge. And uh, we certainly are strong in our willingness to maintain the proper decorum for an academic experience while trying to be supportive and accommodating to those who are doing it at the same time. Sure, sure. Um, one of the things that, that I think is actually inspiring about Robbie's story, and, and not necessarily, you know, having to, to live on a three-season porch or, you know, starve for years on end, but this idea that um, he didn't necessarily, he didn't come up with something brand new. His business is ice. It's one of the most basic things, and yet he found a new angle. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's sort of like a coffee shop or dry cleaners. They're around mm-hmm. us, and we don't really notice that these are entrepreneurial endeavors and small businesses, and that the most successful businesses in our economy are Me Too businesses, hmm. just executed really well. And And there's always this 
drumbeat around entrepreneurship that you have to be some sort of mystical, mythic creator who has access to the next dimension. And it's just not true. We're, we're, what you need to be good at, and I think is underrepresented in the research, are a few anecdotal observations. Um, you got to be a great problem solver. And boy, is Robbie a great problem solver. And it shows mm -hmm. up everywhere in his journey. Yep. The other thing that appears before us over and over is work ethic. And this guy started, you know, what was it, age 15, mm -hmm. you know, working and, and, and just trying to learn. And that's the third part is having that curiosity and strong desire to learn and being open. And so those factors appear to us anecdotally as more important dimensions of a successful entrepreneur than the notion that they're somehow this artistic, creative type. Right. So, so I guess for, for the takeaway for the rest of us who would love to be founders like Robbie is that you don't necessarily have to invent something brand new. You can find a way to, to find a new angle on something that exists and do it better. Right. And, and the truth is, most of what we have in our economy isn't brand new. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the brand new ideas fail way more often than they succeed. So, yeah. no, it is yeah. great news. You don't, you don't need to be, you know, some subjectively super creative person. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, an, another thing that I know you uh, you had a moment of of feeling like you you're a successful professor when you heard Robbie say he needs to work on the business, not in the business. Did he take that straight out of your classroom? I, I would like to believe he did, but <laughs> but I also get the sense that you know he's sort of wise beyond his years at this point and understands that he he's now planning for this three x growth. That's huge in a year. Mm -hmm. Many businesses don't even survive that kind of growth. It's chaotic. It eats up cash. And so what he's doing is what he said, which is he's transitioning from working in the business, making ice cubes, selling, to working on the business. And this is what we see of successful growing businesses. If you want to grow, you have to make that transition as a founder. And then, and then bring in the team, which he's done, to become well, what the research refers to as becoming administrative. And, and I suspect a few listeners just, their face just wrinkled because they're like, yeah, the target's administrative. Yeah, <laughs> but that's why they became so large, because somewhere early on in the history of that organization, they adopted teams that had the responsibility for making strategy and executing on it. And that's mm -hmm. what Robbie's done. And it's why he'll be successful through this rapid growth phase. Well, if anyone can figure out how to add that necessary grown-up responsible element and still stay a little bit scrappy, I think it's Robbie Harrell. Well, he can always go back to putting shipping containers on the street in front of his parents' house. <laughs> That's a good story. Always will be. Uh, Alec Johnson, thank you so much for, for your perspective. Thanks for passing Robbie in class so that he could get out there and, and make this business work and make Minnesota proud. Thank you, Allison. And thanks to our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll see other episodes and you can get caught up 
on all of the entrepreneurs and great lessons from St. Thomas professors. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. by all means and we've got some all-stars thanks to our audio engineer tom Ferlitti. digital support is ricky hannigan and dan nepo thanks to the university of st thomas senior media relations manager Vanita sakar and associate dean of the schultz school of entrepreneurship laura dunham for all their help our theme music is by song finch hope you enjoyed by all means we'll be right back.